Welcome back to Bible Love. We are recording on Thursday, November 4th. So this falls smack in between All Saints Day, All Souls Day, and when many churches are actually observing those feasts, like my church this coming Sunday. So we thought we would do the prayer for all faithful departed. Let us pray. O God, the maker and redeemer of all believers, grant to the faithful departed the unsearchable benefits of the passion of your Son, that on the day of his appearing they may be manifested as your children, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, Bible Love listeners, you're in for a great treat today. We have um, my friend, uh, the Reverend Dr. Anna Brawley. Anna and I served in the Diocese of Alabama together, and now we are serving in the Diocese of Upper South Carolina together. Um, When I think about people that I want to kind of sit at the feet of and learn more from, Anna is one of those people. Anna is the rector of St. Mary's in Columbia. She also has a PhD in Old Testament, has taught at a lot of seminaries. And um, we're just so excited that you're here, Anna, because we are kind of going into, I don't want to speak for Alan, but some really new territory for me. You know, when I think about the Old Testament, I think about Genesis, I think about Leviticus, but Judges is not one that I've spent a lot of time in. And when I, we were thinking about who would be a great person. So now, y'all, this is that time where we sort of do that overview of the book that we're getting into. Um, I thought, I bet Anna would have some really great things to say about Judges and helping us. It's a hard book of the Bible. And it's one that I'm a little nervous about digging in because I just don't know a lot. But I know you will help us, Anna. So thank you for being here today. Um, it's our pleasure to have you. And I would love for you to just tell us some things that you think are really important about the book of Judges. Well, thank you, Mary Beaufort. Um, I am so excited to be here with y'all. Um, when I was in my last semester of full-time teaching in a seminary and I had an elective to, to give. And I thought, well, now if this is the last thing that I teach, the last thing that I get to choose to teach, what is it going to be? And I went, judges. Um, <laughs> you're like the only person that would say that. I'm not. <laughs> yeah, because it's such a great book. It is so full of stories and I love stories. Um, so ju- the book of judges, I know that y'all have been talking about Joshua and you're sort of, you know, moving through, but just for folks to know, um, if you want to read judges, it's in the old Testament in your Bible. It's between the books of Joshua and Ruth. And um, it kind of overlaps some with the book of Joshua in that it depicts the time of the conquest of the, of the land of Canaan by the Israelites. So this is after they have escaped from Egypt and they, after they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, 
and Canaan, this is the uh, promised land that Moses did not get to. And so the book of Joshua kind of more or less gives the first part of the adventure um, and Judges follows on it, but they're not entirely chronological in how they present stuff. Um, so there's kind of some overlap in their time frames. Um, and the book is called Judges because that is the title of the rulers who ruled Israel during this time. They were called Judge. Um, and it's clear that the word indicates um, someone who has been called by God into this form of leadership. And it's also clear that this form of leadership includes both military leadership as well as legal or prophetic leadership. So it's some kind of leadership that involves brains as well as brawn. So it's someone who could offer counsel for both legal issues and spiritual matters. Anna, can I ask you a question um, about that? Because this is sort of seems interesting to me. Um, You know, I think we're all called into ministry in some way, shape or form. Like for you and Alan and I, it's we're called to be priests. But I don't think about judges being called into a ministry. Like when you think about the judge with the gavel, you know, what we think about as judge now. And I love that you said that because really all of this is ministry, right? Even if it's in a sort of different way, in a tough way. And God was even understanding that way back when, when Judges was occurring. I don't really have a question, I guess, but I just think that's sort of an interesting thought, the way you said that, you know, that called it, in the ministry. It's further interesting because um, the book of Judges is so violent and so gory. Um, so... Uh, But there is one of the ways this call is indicated is that there's formulaic language that's used um, before these stories, before these episodes. And so the call of the judges sort of what happens is the Israelites do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That phrase is used over and over again. And in response, they find themselves oppressed by a foreign ethnic entity. So, you know, some like the Moabites would oppress them, somebody like that. Um, And so when that happens, they cry to the Lord and the Lord raises up a deliverer for them. So this kind of thing happens over and over again. And it says very clearly that the spirit of the Lord comes upon whoever this person is. um, And then he or she leads them out of oppression into a time of peace, which is indicated by the phrasing, and the land had rest for blankety-blank number of years. Usually it's 40 years, but I think in only one case it's 80 years of rest before, again, they find themselves oppressed. Um, And so, yeah, this, this, um, I think it is a challenge for us as Christians in this day and place to think that these leaders were called by God into this um, work because it's such a bloody and gory book. I mean, 
I am telling y'all, Hollywood does not need to go far afield for, um, for you know, action movies um, because all they need to do is just like just the Book of Judges. I mean, they could make movie after movie just out of the Book of Judges. Um, and it has a lot of sex and violence as well as a lot of sexual violence. Mm-hmm. These are adult Bible stories and in fact, they may be the most adult Bible stories that some people ever read. They are raw and gritty and vivid. And some people may find the content in them kind of difficult to deal with or even offensive. And I would say, you know, go with that if that's what you feel. Go with that and explore it and see what you learn from it. Um, on the other hand, I want to be really clear that the stories may trigger traumatic memories or responses in some people. So I kind of want to give fair warning about that from the get-go. Um, depending on how our time goes, we may or may not get into some of that today. Um, and but- I really appreciate that. We talked about it before we even decided to do this. And I, I appreciate that fair warning because I think sometimes it's confusing in the Bible because we think of God as the God of love. And then we're, we've got this book that has so much sexual abuse and scariness and hardness. And that might be hard. One thing Alan and I have really tried to do is say we're going to commit to go through the entire Bible you know, with everything that's there. But I do think if you have triggers, maybe this is not a book that you need to read right now. You know, maybe it's a book you need to go through with your priest or your spiritual director and sort of ask some of the questions before you dig deep into that. So thank you for bringing that up because we, we want to be sensitive to that for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so what I, I before I actually get into a story, I want to talk a little bit. I just want to say a note about pronunciation of names, so personal names and place names, um, and just want to say there's not one correct way to do them. <laughs> and if what I say is different from what other people say, that's fine. Um, and it's all an approximation. I tend to use modern Israeli pronunciation just because of things in my background. But, um, you know, people don't need to go, oh, my gosh, I was pronouncing it wrong. No, it's, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first story I want to look at, and this may be the only thing we have time for today, is a story about Samson. (coughs) Most people... Um, even people who are not part of the Judeo-Christian tradition know about Samson and Delilah. I mean, you know, Hollywood has made movies about that, right? Um, but this is not about Delilah. This is a story about Samson's wife. And I'm going to start out with actually, so before Samson was born, his mother, who is not given a name, in the story. And this is kind of something that happens over and over again in the old Testament, um, especially that, um, you have characters who are important, but who aren't given a name. And frequently those are women, not always, but frequently. 
So Samson's mother is just known as the wife of Manoah. Manoah is Samson's father. Um, but she's visited by the angel of the Lord. And she has been infertile up to this time. But the angel of the Lord comes to her and tells her, you're going to have a baby. And I think all of us would go, oh, yeah, you know, I've, I've, that's a familiar theme that we get over and over again in the Bible. Um, and the angel gives her special instructions to follow because he says this baby is going to be a Nazarite from birth. So a Nazarite or Nazir in Hebrew was um, a particular sort of vow for almost like um, a religious order that people would take. And normally it was sort of like a temporary thing for a set time. Like you say, I'm going to be a Nazarite, you know, for Lent, you know, for six weeks or something. Um, But the angel of the Lord is saying this child is going to be a Nazarite his whole life. And that vow includes um, no um, wine or alcoholic drinks and nothing made from grapes. No grapes at all. No no grape product. Um, And they would not cut their hair, which I think is something a lot of people, you know, can uh, connect with the Samson story is that, you know, cutting of the hair. And the other thing is that they should not touch any corpses. Um, So after Samson's birth, there's a short summary that talks about how God's spirit was active in him. And this is really the place that, that sort of designates him as a judge um, because we don't have that formulaic language that we have in the other stories. Um, But so the first episode in Samson's life is he goes to Timnah, which was in Philistine territory And he sees this woman and he wants to marry her. And so he goes back to his parents and says, get her for me as a wife. Well, they are disappointed as parents sometimes are at their children's choice in a mate. And they encourage him, you know, marry a nice Israelite girl, you know, marry, marry a nice local girl. Um, But he insists. So later he's going back to Timnah to see this woman when a lion roars at him and he tears it apart with his bare hands. Okay. So this establishes his physical strength, um, which, you know, is one of the things you want in a judge. Um, And so later he passes by that same place and in the lion carcass, some bees have made a hive and there is honey. And so he takes honey out of this lion carcass and eats it as he is walking along. Um, and he also gives some to his parents, but he doesn't tell them where he got it from. I think the poor parents. <laughs> um, so he uses this episode to come up with a riddle to try to trick the relatives of this Philistine woman he is going to marry. And she also is not given a name. So his, her relatives beg her to say, get him to tell you the answer to the riddle so that, that we can get it. And she, um, 
goes at him and she says, oh, you don't really love me. You know, come on. If you did, you would tell me. And so finally he tells her the answer to the riddle. And so her relatives give him the answer and he gets really mad because he knows that she has told them that that's the only way they could figure it out. And so he goes to Ashkelon, which is about 30 miles away. And they had nothing to do with the whole thing, but he kills 30 men of the town of Ashkelon in order to get, in order to plunder their belongings so that he can pay off this woman's relatives for figuring out the riddle. So that is basically um, the story. I see Alan shaking his head there. <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk about this just a minute. Like, why do you, I mean, Alan? You tell you say why why are these stories important? You know, like why do we need this story of a honey coming out of a lion's mouth that somebody's eating, and then we go kill thirty people, and then we make this person a judge? You know. I mean, we're not in the brains of God. I understand that. But it's just interesting. What do y'all, Alan, what do you think? Yeah, I keep thinking to something, Anna, you said at the beginning that, like, this is a time period where they're experiencing 40 years of peace at a time, 80 years of peace at a time. But yet, even in that peace, there's this stuff, right? Like, so is peace just based on how the victors feel and how they mm-hmm. feel. And so here, and so a question a little bit different than Mary Balfour's, but <laughs> so we've had all these threats, you know, um, Joshua was threats from the outside. We've always been, the Israelites have been worried about others. And here, as you talk about it, are these stories less about threats from the others and more about like, their own abilities, their own faithfulness, their own ability to kill a lion or do that. Like, I guess that gets to like, what is the point of these violent stories? Yeah. Yeah. What are we supposed to learn from them? I mean, you know, it's, and, and maybe we don't have the answers, but Anna, I'd love to hear what you think. Oh, no, I don't have answers. I just have more questions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, but the interesting thing is by the end of, so there are more stories about Samson and by the end of all the stories about him, he has broken all of the requirements of his Nazarite vow. So if you think back to the story I told, um, he touched a lion's carcass and ate honey out of it. I mean, that is like, the, probably the worst way you could um, come into contact with a corpse, um, which, you know, he's not supposed to do as a Nazarite. And I don't think I told this part, but um, that when the lion roared at him, he was walking through a vineyard. And so it's it's not to say that he ate those grapes, but they're, they're there in the background of the story. Um, and when he gave the riddle, that was in the context of a seven day wedding feast. Okay. Um, and again, it's not specified in the story, but it's just understood that there would have been wine and that he would have participated in that. Um, so 
is breaking that. And I think probably most people know the famous story of Samson and Delilah, where his head is finally shaved. And um, that is, you know, an, another breaking of the vow. Um, and Samson's identity as a Nazarite is really central to understanding his whole story. Mm-hmm. Um and we get the description of the vow of how to become a Nazir in Numbers 6. Um, and uh, I think I've already sort of gone through what that was supposed to be like. So um, so that that's just really important for understanding everything in his story. Yeah, when we were in numbers, and I used I teased Alan a lot to like remind me never to become a Nazarite because I think that sounded awful. Um, but you know, I kind of am going back to how you started that you like judges because you love stories, and maybe that's part of what this is. You know, that we're supposed to have stories that make us think or make us realize history or make us, you know, that might be some of the answers to the questions. And I love that you said, I don't have the answer. I just have more questions because that's what keeps us sort of on our toes in our relationship with God, right? Of like, I don't understand this. I need to understand more. I need to read more. I need to be in conversation with God more. And that sometimes I think we forget if we don't have the answers, then we're just frustrated, but maybe it's okay to keep asking questions. So I really loved that you said that. And Alan, I think that'll be like one of my questions this week is we always try to have questions at the end, Anna, and um, that we just post. And maybe that'll be one of my questions is why do I always have to ask the answers? Why can't I just keep asking questions? Because that deepens my relationship with God. And that's never a bad thing. You know, um, the story is important and that's good. One of the things that, um, these stories, these are just stories of the people of God. And one of the things that they teach us is that those people were not any more perfect than we are. Right. Is, you know, a good thing to keep in mind in this season when we are remembering all saints and all souls, um, that, that these folks in the Bible are not any better or any worse than we are. Um, yeah. I love so that. Where, where do I want to go next? Um, so Samson's riddle, he, what he says to them, you know, is, is something like, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. That's, you know, a, a sort of a translation to sort of make it sound like a riddle, a poetic thing. Um, and they're supposed to try to guess honey and a lion out of that, right? Um, which would be impossible. But, you know, if you think about, you know, the famous riddle of the Sphinx, what walks on four legs in the morning and two legs in the middle of the day and three legs in the evening, and it's supposed to be a person. It's that kind of riddle. It's something that, um, you know, you're supposed to work hard to figure out, but you're not supposed to be able to figure it out. Um, So it's that kind of thing. And some of the questions I have um, are around power dynamics, 
Like who has the power in this story and who doesn't have power and how are they using it? So like with this riddle, he has power over these other people because he knows the answer and they don't. And her relatives um, ask her to use her power over him to get the answer. Um, and I mean, basically it's manipulation. I mean, she really does say, you don't love me. If you love me, uh, you know, you would tell me. Um, and, but my question on that is, does she really have power over him or is it her male relatives behind her who are sort of pushing her? Um, So just some other kind of like basic notes on this story. The name of Samson basically means sunny, like, you know, sunny, radiant, um, which I think kind of doesn't go along with his personality <laughs> yeah. uh, in the book because he's, he's, really, he's really kind of horrible. I mean, he really is. Um, and he does more horrible things um, in, in the rest of the story. Um, and uh, so there is a point where after her relatives have figured out the riddle that he says to her, she, he says to her relatives, you would not have known the answer if you had not plowed with my heifer, referring to his wife. Um, and that, that whole thing is really, um, bizarre, but probably has some sort of sexual connotation to it. Um, and, uh, so I, I think the, the final questions I would give with this would be, you know, what do we think about the spirit of the Lord Coming upon Samson, this is this is what it says when he goes to kill those 30 men in Ashkelon. It says that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he went down and killed them. So what do we think that God's spirit was resting on Samson and rushing into him with the result that he violently killed innocent people for his own gain and his own means? Um and later in his story, he kills a thousand people with the jawbone of a donkey, again, under the influence of the spirit of the Lord. So um, as, as Forrest Gump would say, that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, I mean, it's super interesting. And how do we wrestle with that? I think that is like a really good word of how do we kind of think through this, the story of violence. Okay, but. I will say, Anna, before we started this, I was pretty intimidated by judges, but I feel like you gave us, you like really broke down some of those things that if I was just a regular reader, regular reading it, I'd be like, what the heck does this mean? And putting it more into a story form helps us to kind of, even though we don't understand why it's there, even though we don't know why the spirit was pushing Samson to do these things. I don't want to say I feel excited about judges, but I think I feel like more comfortable, like going through the next couple of weeks. What do you think, Alan? Yeah. So what 
it has me thinking is we've had several books that are list of rules to do. We know what it means to be a Nazarene because you have to do all of these. When I'm given a list of rules to follow, that's okay as far as it goes. But what helps me more is narrative, right? Like most people learn better from that. And so to me, thanks to Anna and this conversation, I'm going to approach this as narrative with a purpose, maybe, right? Like these are stories of people who are failing largely at being whatever God says you have to be. And so we can see, oh, if it can happen to Samson, oh, if it can happen to so-and-so. You know, I think about um, both in kind of that sense of, um, you know, Profiles in Courage, JFK's book, right? Like this is stories of people who have characteristics that you're supposed to follow, right? This is almost a negative example of here's people that here's examples of what you're not supposed to follow. But I think, right, spiritual memoirs, spiritual autobiographies are powerful tools to help us. Not just us getting our own story on paper, but reading the stories of other people about, I have a friend, a dear friend who's um, writing a a spiritual memoir, kind of, and she's suffered so much in her life. Um, And she was asking me, like, what would you want to read about? And I said, I want to read about your prayerfulness, your faithfulness, your steadfastness when life has been really hard. Like, that's a story worth telling. And so what are the stories worth telling? in judges God's faithfulness when people can't help but kill lions or kill a thousand people God's faithfulness in the midst of the mess Um, we get to see that through maybe these stories that we're going to read and that's something we still do is we get to see God's faithfulness in the stories that we can tell about our own lives yeah Anna thank you so much um what a gift to have you today um and I really can't think of a better way to end it than what Alan just said, like the stories of faithfulness and even if they're hard and terrible, all those good things, um, there's something to learn from all of them. So thank you, Anna, for being here. Listeners, remember that God loves you every day, all day long. Have a great week. 